Hello and welcome to the Viewfinders Podcast. My name is Nick Fancher and I am your host. In this episode, I'm hopping on a call with Polish-American photographer Maciek Jacek. He is uh, based currently in Brooklyn. He's known especially for his colorful experimental portraits and landscape photography. I came across his work years ago, stylized um, images of fruits and vegetables that had colorful smoke kind of emerging from them which was from his uh, body of work called Secret Lives. Um, he has also uh, worked on a, a body of work called Bypassing the Rational, where he photographs nudes, different um, genders and races and sizes and body types, but he um, uses kind of his own experimental techniques of putting different substances on his camera lens so that it gets these kind of ghosty, almost underwater-looking images that and transcend typical portraiture and go more into these almost dreamlike meditations. And uh, so for years I, I admired his work from afar and then back when I was still on social media we would um, kind of exchange pleasantries and enjoyed each other's work and developed sort of a good relationship on there and just uh, continued that relationship since then. And um, in this episode, we talk actually quite a bit about social media and about what it's like to create work as a, as a visual artist in this day and age and how we're influenced by social media or you know how do we get work in spite of it or because of it, what it looked like to carve out our niche. Is it, is it important to have a niche? Is it important to be able to to do all the things to be successful as a photographer do you need to be extremely versatile we also talk about the difference between fine art photography and commercial photography and photographers historically that have walked that balance between seeing art and commercial success because we're both really passionate about these topics this conversation ended up being twice as long as any of the other episodes i've done so I do apologize for the, the almost two hour length, but I think the conversation was really good and I, I didn't feel like I could cut out any content anywhere else. So if you stay stay with us to the end of the episode, I think you'll find it pretty rewarding. Yeah, man. Well, I appreciate you taking, um, taking some time out to hop on a call. Not a problem. I'm glad uh, we could talk. Um, I guess couldn't meet when you were in New York, but I'm sure we'll meet face to face at some point. I know, yeah. I I wanted to come out there, but I was um, my day was all kind of in Manhattan, and uh, mm-hmm. and then at the end of the day, I was I was kind of out in Brooklyn. But by then, you were, I know you only had availability in the morning, so it was just like going back and forth. It was a, it was a lot, you know. And, and I know that a lot of times when you want to try to stuff too much into a day, that can kind of ruin the day. So it's best just to chill sometimes. Yeah, I definitely want to do. Uh, come over and see your studio and meet you face to face it had actually been uh almost two years since i had been in new york so I'd, I'd like to get out there a couple times a year if possible yeah i've been i've been kind of changing my approach now because i think for a while i think a lot of people just relied on social media for a lot of stuff to get their stuff out there but um i've started just arranging meetings which is kind of a new thing for me because i've never really done that mm. um and because I think meeting people face to face and being able to actually explain what you're about and make like more of a personal connection. Because I think you know, for for like some of the people that I see, like you know, younger kids, they're like they're out partying with people and they're meeting like people in the bathroom, and like I'm not I'm not with that lifestyle right. really anymore. Um, so for me, I'm like you know, I could you know I think for 
you know, when you, you're always like, okay, I'm here, but that's, this is where I want to be. And I think it's, meetings, I think is probably going to be the thing. It's just, it's a little bit more difficult, I think, for me to know who to meet and like mm-hmm. where to go. But New York has like, you know, I, I just think you have to just kind of get over that hump. But yeah, tell me a bit about that. I mean, that sounds like uh, the similar wavelength that I've been on uh, the last few months. Um, mm-hmm. since, you know, I, I left social media in February. And, uh, and so uh, since then, oh, I've been, really? Yeah, yeah. So I deleted everything um, in February. Wow. And uh, wow. so what precipitated that. Um, I mean, a few reasons, a, f- a few reasons. Um, I uh, the the short answer is I was getting a lot of anxiety from it the last couple of years. Um, like mm-hmm. f- for me, just seeing all the photographers that are seemed so busy with work and I would be comparing mm-hmm. myself like, oh, man, you know, maybe my stuff isn't good enough or I'm not seeing the right people or I need to be in a, a living in another city or, you know, it was just this constant mm-hmm. self-comparison, um, which, mm-hmm. which didn't help my mental life or my, um, just the way I create, you know, I was like, I, I, you know, I, it's hard enough to like buckle down and make work and whatever. And, and if I'm constantly feeling like it's falling short, you know, that's, that's not a good feeling and it's not going to help my creative process. Um, mm-hmm. and then I, uh, so, you know, so then I started like looking at, okay, how many gigs can I trace back to social media? You know, how many, how many opportunities has this created? And, and I couldn't really find that many, you know, I think largely the people that reach out to me because they saw me on social are photographers or models. You know, it wasn't a mm-hmm. lot of clients, you know, a lot of my client work comes from uh, relationships that I have personal relationships. Uh, I've worked with them in the past, um, or it's a friend of a friend, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I was like, you know what, like I need to start cultivating those relationships. Like, so I, I'll, you know, send them a text or a phone call or an email and just like touch base. Like it's been a while. I always love making work together. Um, mm-hmm. do, you, do you have anything on the pipeline or, or let's get lunch or whatever. And I mean, I, I had four jobs come up in April from that, you know, that I mm. don't know that I would have gotten if I was on social media because I would, when I was on social media, it felt like I was doing something. It felt like I, I was accomplishing a task by posting on there. But I was like, mm-hmm. you know, so, so, you know, I'd put a lot of time into that, but I was like, really, am I actually drumming up work? Is this actually marketing or is this a, another weird kind of, thing that you know i don't know so we'll see how it goes i'll I'll let you know but i i'm i'm four months out now so uh so far so good i mean i i hear a lot of that i think um even people who you know i meet people who um uh are seemingly doing really well on social media there's a guy i know who has like six hundred thousand followers and Mm -hmm. you would think that you know he's doing great but he's you know i really don't like how because for him, he's become like not really an influencer. He's not that type of person, but he gets a lot of gigs that are like social media based. He's like, I don't really want to do that anymore. Mm. I want to be at this other level, but I'm stuck doing this, and it's hard for me to break out because if I post anything that's slightly different, no one likes it. Interesting. And then because of like the way that the algorithm works now, like if you start posting work that doesn't really get much of traction, then that affects your ability to have people see your work in the future because suddenly your like engagement level goes down. It's I've talked about this people like people really don't like this because again, like you said, it causes them anxiety because they have to start thinking like, 
well, what can I post? This is consistent with who I am. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got to like respond to all the comments and it right. becomes like this added job right. that doesn't really like most, I mean, I've gotten a couple things, not really through social media. It's more like when I did a project that did well and it got picked up like on like Colossal or like Ignant or like these other sites that feature work. Mm-hmm. But really those sites only feature like very specific projects. Yeah. They don't say like, oh, this is a cool photograph or like this person's kind of cool. They're like, this is a very specific project. And if you fit into that mold, then you'll get coverage. Right. Um, and then I got like a huge job out of that. But that was because I did this project for like a couple of years. It really wasn't because of social media I got that job. It's because I did this project like very that I liked a lot. Yeah. Um, so did they yeah, find it? Did, did they find your project on social? They found it through those websites, like those design websites. Yeah. Did those uh, design websites find you off social or how'd they find you? Um, I submitted to a couple of them okay. and then I think one posted and then it just kind of like, they all kind of picked it up. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I was wondering about that because I've seen, you know, I've seen a number of photographers workshop on those sites, which are, I, you know, are largely, I'd say more design or illustration based, but you see some photo mm-hmm. projects pop up on there. And I was always wondering like, is that like they reach out to you? Do you submit whatever? I submitted and I, what I did was, um, and I don't even know if really, if, this works that well anymore but what i did was i looked up people that were similar to me but i looked at all the press they had gotten mm. and then i just and i just started submitting to that press that's a great idea um a lot of the times i mean and, and this is like <laughs> my go-to phrase for this um a lot of reaching out is like throwing like a pebble into a black hole mm-hmm. it's not even like throwing into a trash can because you actually hear the pebble hit the bottom of the trash <laughs> right? can yeah you don't even know you if don't it even, landed you don't even know if it landed. So you're just like throwing and you're just like nothing. And I feel like that's the hardest part of this is like knowing like, I'm not going to get any response on this. Right. Yeah, dude, absolutely. You don't even know if the email got in the inbox or if it went to spam or whatever. Or that person like is like in a bad mood that day or they're super busy or maybe I caught them on a good day. Maybe, maybe not. Like I have no idea. Right. So, um, I just, I have to kind of constantly remind myself, like, because I, I think when I was younger, I thought like, okay, once you get like a magazine cover, you're all set. Right. Like work just keeps like flowing in. And mm-hmm. I realized like it does absolutely nothing. Yeah. I, like, I you're mean, just I'm, like, I'm just like right back to the beginning, like all the time. And it's like, I can't believe this. I'm right there with you, man. I, same thing. I was just like last year I shot, uh, uh, this, this, uh, band ghost for revolver magazine and they gave me four covers and I was like, dude, this is huge. Like four yeah. covers and that, like everyone will see this and like this dude's like a Grammy nominated artist. Like, you know, this, this is going to blow me. This is going to blow up and nothing, nothing <laughs> came, you know what I mean? And it, cause yeah. there's so many people creating and people's, yeah. t- people's attention are pulled in so many different directions. Like, you know, if you're not right in front of them, they're not going to be thinking about you, you know? And that's, um, yeah. I mean, it, it'd be, it, you know, I, I'd really like to see, it's really interesting to think about like the photographers that just, uh, that came generations before us, what it would be like for them in today's age, like who would actually break out and who wouldn't, you know what I mean? Because right. you, I feel like you have to hustle 10 times harder, hundred times harder oh, yeah. these days because yeah. you'll even, even if you work for someone a number of times, 
you, you're not, they're not really going to think about you unless you're reaching out to them. Yeah, totally. And I feel, I feel strange reaching out to them if I don't have something to show them. So mm. it becomes like a chicken before the egg scenario. We're like, well, I have to have work to get more work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think it's just like, you know, that's why I kind of constantly shoot personal projects. But then I think, am I shooting too much and not promoting enough and finding like that kind of right mix? Yeah. Um, and, and finding a way to deal with that. I, actually, I, I heard a really funny anecdote from, um, I photographed this professor and he's friends with um, Jay Mizell. And he bought that huge building on the Bowery, mm-hmm. like back in the day. And the story he told me, which is incredible, he was seeing this place with a real estate agent. And, you know, the place was a dump. It was like in horrible condition, but it was this gigantic place um, that had so much potential. And he's like, even then, he was like, you know, I don't know if I have enough money for this. I mean, it was on the Bowery. It was a huge building on the Bowery. Even in the 70s, this is still a big purchase. Yeah. So he goes home and he's talking about a, you know, about a job with this art director. Art director says, okay, like, well, you know, we have this much money and we have like this, this many shots. And it was like some figure, maybe like 5,000, 10,000, something like that. And he's like, you know, it's 10,000 for like three images. And he's like, oh, is that per image? And the art director like pauses and he's like, I mean, I guess it can be. <laughs> Which you're like, how is that even possible? Like, yeah, the, the fact that that budget suddenly you could be like, oh, I'm going to increase my budget by a thousand percent. Right. And like the art director is going to kind of like roll with that. Right. And that's how he's able to buy that building. That's insane. Oh my I mean, gosh. Like no one would ever be able to tell that story today because they'd be like, well, you know, they wouldn't pay for my lunch or they wouldn't reimburse me for this. Like that's, you know, the struggle you have to go through now. So um, it's kind of amazing how much things have changed. And I think when I do talk to older photographers, they, they, I don't, they can hardly know what's going on. Like even for me being in New York 10 years, it's been a tidal wave change mm. since I've been here. So, and it keeps changing. And I think it's difficult to kind of manage. That's why I think um, meeting with people face to face is just that I'm just hoping that's an equalizer and it's, you know, it's going to take time. Um, but I feel like that's going to, you have to kind of go back to older ways um, of doing things versus like just trying to be like the hot ticket for the minute because there's no way you can win that when there's a billion other people doing it who are right. also, you know, very talented doing like interesting things as well. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because we, uh, you and I even have some overlap in like the clients we regularly work for. Like, I, you know, I, I shoot for, uh, I've shot for Barons a few times and I see you, you do as well. And they do a really good job of bringing in, you know, visually interesting uh, photographers to, to shoot their stuff. Um, tell me a bit about some of the some of the clients. And I, I know you also shot like Spike Lee. What was that maybe for? Was that for New York Times Magazine or what was that for? That was for GQ. That was for GQ. So so tell me about uh, the the clients who are coming to you, giving you these uh, editorial opportunities to be like creative and do your thing. Like how are these people finding you then? Um, GQ, I had worked for um, a few years prior. Um, I've worked with them now three times. And the first time was this like, uh, it was a, kind of a strange uh, assignment where they wanted me to shoot clowns. Hmm. And it was basically about how clowns in like the States and Western culture has become, have become like scary because of it and all these other movies and um, media. But in other parts of the world, like clowns are like silly and funny and they don't have that stigma. So I photographed about eight clowns. Um, I was actually able to 
cast a lot of it where they were like, oh, do you know, can you find some clowns? I found some like really amazing people. Um, and, and I like them a lot because they, they, you know, they, they're very serious about what they do. They go to clown school. Like they are, I, I mean, I thought like being a photographer is hard, like being a clown right. in 2019 <laughs> is really hard. Yeah. Like that's really tough. And sure. they, they have like, you know, they're very serious about their do, very professional. I like them a lot. Um, unfortunately, the story, like, I, I was very confused. I was like, GQ's telling the story about clowns? Like, this is really, guys? But okay, whatever. Like, <laughs> and they were, you know, they came to my studio and I was able to cast them and it was great. The photo editors were wonderful. Um, ended up just going online, didn't go into print. You know, very few people saw it. It was mm. unfortunate. You roll the dice, you never know. But everybody to work with was fantastic. The photo yeah. editors. One of them went to Esquire. The other one actually left photo and went to law school. But then she she hired me again, and then she's passed me on. And then another photographer hired me for the, uh, for the Spike Lee thing. So um, they it, it's difficult because like GQ, I think, has a very specific visual aesthetic. Hmm. But for the photo editors, they're always like, you know, they enjoy it. They like that aesthetic. But they might be like, you know, sometimes we want to push things just a little bit and find a story that's compatible with a different kind of style. Um, I remember I did have a portfolio review years ago and uh, it went mostly really badly because uh, this was a long time ago also that they were like, listen, you're like a specialty product. You're never going to be mainstream. Mm. So don't even bother trying. We're really never going to make it. Wow. Are you serious? Yeah. They're like, you're going to have to work 10 times harder than everybody else because you don't fit into like a mainstream visual way of seeing things. So just like, just warning you, you're not going to make it. Um, in the flip side of that, I mean, you could literally use that exact reasoning and say the opposite thing because you're so specialty, you're going to get more gigs than someone that looks like a million other people. That's true. And I feel like I, I mean, that almost like, I almost feel like that was like, they were like, they knew what they were doing, that they were going to like light a fire under me by mm. saying, like, they might've been like, you know, you're fine, but I got to like light a fire under you. Maybe, maybe that was their, their, okay. their reasoning. But I do think like, if like, I see work constantly that I'm like, this work is exactly the same as something 30 or 40 years ago. Why is this being hired? And I realized in the end, like you will be able to get hired because of like either like personal, like in the end, a lot of people get work just through personal relationships anyway. Right. It's not even about the work or they just like, like having you around or like you're my sister's best friend or whatever it is. Yeah. There's so many factors involved and you can't be like, Oh, that's unfair. Like that doesn't, it's not even, it doesn't matter because we all get work through some personal connection. This isn't like a pure meritocracy and anyone who thinks that is like joking themselves. Um, but I think in the end, you still have to be like, do you like your own work? Yeah. Do you feel inspired by what you do? Or are you just like, you know, banging it out and like hitting the numbers every day? Like, you know, like you're like a, a lawyer or like a, like a Wall Street trader. So, right. um, but I mean, I do, do think like I, I'm not going to get a lot of work that someone else is going to get. But do I want that work? That's the other thing. Obviously, yeah, I want to make a living to support me and my family. But, you know. I, I want to like my work in the end of the day. That's the most important thing to me. Yeah. I mean, and, and, uh, when you're talking, it reminded me, I, I heard a story, uh, a couple of weeks ago, there's a lot of big retail brands that, uh, they're at, they operate here out of Columbus. Um, and, uh, I can't remember if this was, I think this might've been an Abercrombie story, but there was like someone that was like, it's like 
friends with the art director. It was a photographer, and they went way back. Like, they'd been friends for, like, 15, 20 years. But the photographer now lived in another state. And, uh, but they would fly the photographer in just to shoot some e-commerce stuff. Like, you know, something that someone straight out of school could shoot. And, uh, mm-hmm. but th- this, pho- this photographer, um, like their friendship kind of overruled everything, like, because like, I guess this photographer wasn't even very good. And so they would fly this photographer and spend, you know, tens of thousands of dollars to, to, to do this multi-day shoot. And then they would just reshoot it internally, you know, and, oh my God. And, because they didn't let, ever like the images, but they didn't have the heart to cut that relationship off because they were such good oh friends. And I was like, are you kidding? Like, and this was coming from someone that I knew that was like a stylist in house. It was like, oh yeah, they, they, you know, they'll fly her over every year or two and then end up, we all reshoot it internally. I was like, are you kidding me? Like if, if ever I doubted that it had to do more with connection than work, that validates all of that. You know, it was just I mean, nuts. That, I mean, that's, I don't, I'm not surprised by that, but in the end, like, it's one story out of a million. So I think I don't want to get stuck in that, you know, think, especially in modern day, any belief or any opinion you have can be validated by something. Yeah. So I definitely feel like, of course, the, the personal corrections, but over time, like, if you look at it from like a very long view, people who do good work and have, um, produce good work and are have integrity those are the people who went out over the long run yeah um yeah you can get one or two jobs that way sure maybe a few years but like the second that art director leaves you're done no one's going to be like oh she's oh no we're never hiring her again are you kidding like we can't justify that cost so especially now like that's that stuff is going to be and there's so much i think i when i look at creatives and art directors they're constantly moving between companies Mm -hmm. um so that kind of stuff doesn't really, I think, last. In the end, you have to, and I mean, does, does she know that she's not any good? I guess maybe she has an inkling. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, but you feel like, like just from watching like Hollywood films, I'm like, I don't know. I mean, people ride out a whole career on that, you know, <laughs> like consistently putting out bad movies. But, you know, I guess they just had the right mm-hmm. connections. Um, I don't know. It was just more of a funny anecdote. I don't even know who the person was that, that was she was referring to, but... Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, it happens. I just, I mean, at the end, the end, like the the difficult thing is like you just can't worry about that. Like you have to, like you just can laugh about it, and then just like move on and know like you can't let that affect you. Like like the whole comparison thing. Like comparison's a thief of joy. Like yeah, it's a corny phrase, but it's totally true. It is true, and I absolutely believe that. And uh, I wish, I wish I had the willpower to just beat that into my brain and turn that off, then I would, I would still probably be on social media. Um, but I didn't know how to not like just fixate on that. And, and going back to what we were talking about a bit earlier, you were talking about the algorithm and how, um, that was another big factor for me leaving was I felt like I was being overly influenced by the platform, um, in the way I created images, because for example, if I created an image, uh, if I used a lot of red uh, or a slow shutter or something like that, um, I knew that it would outperform my images like two to one, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, so then I might start doing that more, you know, for a shoot. I'm like, oh, I'll just do this and this, and, and I know I'll get a good response out of it versus pushing yeah. myself into new territories. And I was, mm-hmm. you know, it was like this Pavlov 
effect like Pavlov's dog yeah. like I'm like chasing the likes and mm-hmm. and once I, w- I was talking to a photographer named Sarah Lando she's based in Italy uh, mm-hmm. in a previous episode of this podcast and she was pointing out that effect and I was like dude that's it I mean you nailed it I am guilty of that and so once I kind of connected yeah. the dots between the anxiety, between the way it was influencing me and that and the lack of, of work that I could trace back to it, I was like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to leave. I mean, that's the thing is I think a long time ago I shot like a, like a pop star and I was like concerned that she was going to like tag me in the images and then she didn't. And then I was like, what am I doing? Like, why do I care that a, this like probably 14 year old fans of this pop star are going to see my, like they're going to take my work seriously. Like they don't care who I am. Mm. Um, and you know, I, you know, I shot somebody recently and I like, yeah, they're not going to tag me. And I was like, I don't, I couldn't care any less because that's, that's not who I want following me. Like mm. I think about, I think about, um, social media is like, it's like a party that you're hosting. And then let's say you go out like to get some beers and you come back and then there's all these people that you don't know. Yeah at your party and they don't even care about you. And they're like, who are you? And you're like, I'm the host of the party. And they're like, whatever. <laughs> and you're like, well, I don't want these people at my party. Like, yeah. what, why would I, why would I want that? I want people like, I would rather have a smaller following. Yeah. And it just being like a much more like conducive atmosphere. Um, the, one of the worst things actually ever happened to me was that I got featured on Instagram. Mm. And I got like 50,000 followers of people who like don't care at all. Wow. They were just clicking, like clicking. And it was just like, I couldn't get rid. I would make my like thing private. I would just like try to like block and unblock people. And it just kept coming. Mm. They did it twice. And I was like, this is terrible. None of these people care about me. Mm. And people are, oh, like, why do you send me followers? Nobody, nobody likes your work. I'm like, it's not, wow. What are you doing? Like, I don't, I didn't do it. I didn't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> um, not blaming yeah, it's really me. Like, interesting. Yeah, I, I love that metaphor of the party. Um, and actually, I use sort of a similar metaphor um, of a party, I guess, but in a different way when I refer to the way I've, I've switched up my marketing since then. Um, because before I felt like um, posting on social media and using that as my, as my kind of sole marketing source felt like I was uh, the host of a party and I would send kind of a waiter around with the... Uh, uh, hors d'oeuvres on a plate and I'm hoping that the right people get food versus like yeah. now I'm like walking up to a specific person and like here's a plate of food that I made for you and I know right. they're going to get it and I know that they're going to leave satisfied and so that's kind of the way I've changed up you know the way the way I do things and now I've I've focused my efforts on building an, um, an email list and so I have you know on my on my you know, if you go to my site, you can sign up to be on my, my newsletter, but I've been going through my emails, like anyone who's ever contacted me for work or I've worked with over the last four or five years, I'm going through my sent folder and I'm just taking those emails and dropping them into my MailChimp. And, uh, and then on the 31st of every month, I send out uh, a very simple email where it just has like five to 10 images that I shot last month. And it just says, hey, guys, hope you have a great weekend. Here's some images I shot this month. And it's just real simple, real to the point. But it's like going to their inbox. I know they're going to see it. I'm not asking them to do anything. You know, I'm not like, hey, do this, sign up for that, buy this, whatever. I'm like, just here's some pretty images. 
and uh, I don't know. I mean, I, so far I've, I'm getting a positive response. Like people are writing back like, hey, these are great. Like it's been a while, whatever, you know. Um, uh-huh. And I know that they're seeing it. Like you talked about earlier, throwing that pebble in. You don't even hear the clink. On Instagram, yeah. even if even if some photo editor is following me, they're also following 2,000 other accounts. The odds of them yeah. seeing my photo are still slim, even though they're following me. You know, but now I know that they, I can see on Mailchimp. Oh, they opened the email. Oh, they clicked on a mm-hmm. link. I know that they saw it. So, I mean, I I even like to go. I usually email people individually. It takes more time, but I usually reference like, oh, you know, we work together on this thing and then I kind of cater things and I have like this long kind of spreadsheet of like these people that have contacted um what did I send them it's it's time consuming but I feel like it means a lot more Mm -hmm. um to do that and it's just being I don't know I I mean when I hear about like photographers like well I'm not really very organized I'm like how do you do this then yeah because I'm a pretty organized person and I still have a lot of stuff that falls through the cracks where I'm like oh my god I haven't contacted this person in six months what am I doing right um, I do have one question for you, though. Um, it's something that because I feel like, you know, we both work with color and we we don't we we that kind of push creative boundaries. Um, and I found sometimes I've had a couple of times where it's been a challenge where um, I call this. I have like a little phrase for this uh, where they're like, well, we see that you can run, but can you walk? <laughs> like we can see that you could do like really like. like you know advanced stuff or things that's like there's a lot going on and you have a lot of like tricks but like can you do something like kind of not boring but very like more standard and restrained and i've I've had safe and i've had this several times where um a friend of mine works at a major publication and her boss was again at my work and she was like well should we hire him i don't think he'd be interested in doing this for us it'd be too boring for him and she's like no he will totally do that he's totally happy to do that and she's like well but he does all this like really crazy work and she's like that's just that's just him being creative it just it doesn't mean that he can't do other work right man yeah that's 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 a hard one i i never thought about it in terms of them not even considering to hire you because it would be beneath you i mean i, I mean i don't want to say it's beneath me but they were just like it's like this this idea that like you wouldn't be excited about it right where i'm like it's they're number one it's apples and oranges it's like a different muscle to right. do that kind of work um, and also like, do you, how do you think I make a living? Sure. Well, no, I mean, but, but people on the outside don't know that and, and they don't know until I tell them, like I'll tell people that'll students or, or whoever will email me and I'm like, dude, like all the exciting stuff that you see me doing, it's like 90% uh, personal work, stuff that I've done on my own. And slowly over time, clients start asking me to do it for them. But most of it is personal work. And so that's, yeah, I mean, that's definitely, but, but a lot of the work that I get is not that. I mean, it's like the, the bread and butter is like, you know, headshot or a product on a white seamless or something like mm-hmm. that. And, but I don't post that anywhere. And so, but that, that's, a, that's kind of, I've, I've always struggled to know what to do with that because it's like, do I post that? Do I pursue that? Because that's where consistent money is or mm-hmm. or do I just keep kind of doing it if it comes in but then I'm really pursuing the creative work and that's what I'm putting my energy into that's it because like, when I first started photos we were like you know just do don't try to show that you can do a ton of different things just do like one thing well mm-hmm. and I was like cool like I'll do that 
And then once I did that for a while, they're like, oh, you know, you really pigeonholed yourself. And I'm like, do you remember when you told me mm. to do this very specific thing? And now you're saying that, like, I'm, you know, excluded from all this other stuff. Right. Because, like, yeah, if you put up, like, this very, like, standard stuff. Um, I mean, the there's some people, I think, the other thing is, like, there's some creatives that I think really understand creativity and others who are a little bit more constricted where they're like, we're going to hire you to, to do exactly the thing you did before. Yeah. Basically, like I think what Philip Lorca, of course, you called like they wanted me to rip myself off, which mm. he hated because he like when he did his whole us uh, like uh, um, uh, the series in L.A. of the the uh, the men the male prostitutes. Oh yeah, um, which is iconic. Yeah, and they were like, yeah, just do just do that thing, and he's like, you just want me to do the exact same thing, and they're like, yeah, is that a problem? And he like. Because he was, I don't even, I mean, I, guess, I don't know if he was a professor at Yale yet, but he was kind of like, I don't want to just rip myself off. Yeah. That's dumb. Yeah. Which is funny because anyone today would be like, yeah, hell yeah, I'll just rip myself off. Yeah, um, because at least it's still in your wheelhouse and you're still being creative yeah. and whatever. But yeah, so he wanted to be like, let's take, let's, let's jump off of that and do something kind of new with it. And yeah, and like, I think no that's. Way. I think, and that's why he did that whole series with, um, I forget the name of the creative director at W, where he did those like incredible travel series where the Egypt and, you know, India, and he like, he moved past what he had been doing before and he was given free reign. And I think when I was coming up, I thought like that, he was my, like the legend for me. Oh, so I was like, yeah, he did all this incredible work, iconic work. And then he was able to go in the commercial world and make work that was even like better in some senses. Yeah, and make work that didn't fit in any genre of any kind. Yeah, it was kind of mixing. Where even like, yeah, the images you're talking about. I think he also did some in South America, maybe. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, but but it was like walking that line between almost like documentary and mm -hmm. and fashion, uh, streetlight and and strobe. Like you couldn't really tell. It was just blur, kind of blurring those lines. Yeah, and I think he was able to do that, but I think that's like that's so rare. Like I, I had one assignment that sticks out for me. I worked at this company called IDEO and it was, they had seen like the fruits that I had done. Mm -hmm. That's the assignment I'm talking about where like it got a lot of press. And then because of that, they saw it and they were like, well, we have this whole thing about food in the future. Do you want to work on it? And I said, sure. And I worked with them twice and it was incredible where it wasn't like, they weren't like, Oh, just do the same thing you were doing before. They're like, we trust that you're a creative person who's worked with like, the life and fruit and i you know you'll be able to come up with ideas with us like of course you will yeah and you're not gonna be like pigeonholed at all we're just gonna work with this we're gonna all be creative and that company is incredible like when i you go there you have no idea who's a boss and who's not mm. like you're just like everybody just kind of working there what do they do and they do their they, they do design of every kind like the, a company will come to them and they'll like design an interior, but they'll also design like your typeface. Okay. And then they, they do like all types of design. They have offices all over the world. They're, mm. And they're not, I don't think they're very well known outside of the design world. Okay. I think outside of the design world, people don't really know about them, but they're awesome. They're incredible. And they would just have times where like people would just, um, they would have a kind of a meeting and they'd be like, okay, what cool stuff are you working on? And people would show the kind of work they're working on, either personal or otherwise, and they would all like talk about it and get excited. And I was like, this place is awesome. Like these people are incredible. Like just, I mean, obviously there's politics, I'm sure to a certain extent, but I was flabbergasted by how just creative they were. 
we were shooting at one, they had like a little studio in the, in, the, in, in like their Boston office. And they were just like, okay, cool. We're going to be shooting at the studio. Just come by and hang out. And like, maybe you'll have some ideas. Oh, and, wow. and we were shooting for, you know, several days in a row. And it was very intense. We were doing like so many images where it was really exhausting, but amazing work. And this guy came by and he's like, oh, I have these LED lights. Do you guys want to play with these LED lights with the fruits? And we're like, sure. And he like, you know, hooked them up and he like, cause we kind of made a hole underneath the, the paper. And so we were able to like light up like a, like a piece of broccoli to make mm. it like glow, which is inc- incredible. It's one of the fav- my favorite work that I've ever done. Mm. I found out he was just an intern. Wow. They just kind of like watered in and just like helped us out. Like didn't care about like, getting any credit. Just wanted to like do some cool work. That's amazing. It was incredible. I was like, this is just fantastic. I was really enjoyed that. So I think a lot. Some people do get it. Like if you're like, hey, listen, you're creative. You do interesting things with color. Let's do interesting things with color. Yeah, man, those relationships are so rare, but so I mean, just so important when you do come across them. And I have a couple of those where it's just like, you know, my buddy works on a lot of. Uh, albums uh for for musicians and and he's really we're kind of just synced up like stylistically he's like dude what like the stuff he's feeling i happen to be working on a similar thing like on my own and so now i've just started after i do a shoot that i feel really good about i'll just send him a few images i'll just text it to him i'm like dude i shot this today um i thought you'd dig it and I just kind of keep that dialogue going. And so now when he'll have, you know, he has a new project, he actually just texted me this morning. He's like, hey, I have this new album I want you to shoot. There's that freedom built in. There's that like, hey, man, this is what I'm thinking. Because he's, he's laying out the album art. He's designing the merch. He's doing all that. And so he's like meeting with the artist. And he's like, here's the themes. We're dealing with depression. We're dealing with like dreams hmm. and nightmares. We're dealing with this or that. How would you interpret that? And it's really just this absolutely collaborative relationship. And so I'm just like, I get to think more conceptually. And I'm like, here's what I'm thinking. He's like, dude, that's it. Let's do that. And so it, it's, I mean, it's so rare, but it's like, I mean, I cherish that relationship. And uh, it sounds like that, like what you're describing. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, I was able to do a bunch of projects. They don't actually do very much photography. So I think I was very lucky to do a few assignments with them. Um, I may never do an assignment with them again, just because they do mostly design. They don't do any photography, but it's totally fine because what I was able to to experience with them was was sufficient. Mm-hmm. And it's not always going to be like that. Like I did a thing for T Magazine, and they also wanted me to shoot fruits, but they were just like, "Yep, just do exactly what you did before," <laughs> which was fine. Like that's that's not a problem because you know I I like that project. I like doing it, um, and it was fine. I initially did like. I was like, oh, let me try this different angle. And they were like, no, no, just do the same thing as before. Well, so let's talk a, a bit about your projects then, like, because I know you uh, you work on a lot of different projects, and some it seems like you've been working on for years, and I don't know if if all of them you you give the equal amount of time, or some are maybe just like, okay, this is done, I worked on it for this, and and, and I don't want to do it anymore. Um, tell me, like, what, how do you know, how do you go about, uh, you know, carrying out a, a personal series? Um, initially, when I first started, it was. 
I just had I just started doing the two projects, the Thousand Souls and the Bypassing the Rational. It was the portraits and the nudes, and that had like no. I had no idea like kind of really what I was doing or what the project was about. And once I started working on the project, I figured I was like, oh, okay, this is what this project's about. And this is what this project's about. And then those projects have been going on for almost 10 years now. So they've really evolved over time. I don't do, I mean, the thousand souls is really like what had led to most of my commercial work. And I still do like versions of that. Um, so in a sense that's become, because that's become kind of what, I do now I do of that less as a personal project I've also done like 175 of them yeah um which once you've lot. done like 175 it's like it's a lot it's a lot and you're like okay how can I do something differently and that's why I started working on different projects now where like I work with like plants mm-hmm. I've been working with like plants and playing with shadows and that because I was like you know I got kind of tired of I would see myself going into the same tropes of like okay i'm getting, i'm using these colors again i'm gonna like i started relying on the prism a lot to be like okay i need something really crazy like to stand out and i work with the prism and i would kind of be doing a lot of the same things so i've kind of stopped doing that project as much and it's funny how people they'll ask me like oh did you do a thousand yet I'm like have i done a thousand yet like <laughs> kind of superman do you think i am did, like, did they think based on the title that that was your goal they think that people did, and it's actually it's from a Herman Hess novel, and it's a quote that I found um, that helped me understand the project a lot better. I never intended to do a thousand. I never thought I'd do a hundred. So I've really dropped off doing that. But I mean, I don't. Again, it's one of those things like I don't want to play into people's expectations of what I should be doing. Um, if I'm not feeling it, I'm not going to do it. Um, and I did the bypassing ration. I had actually a solo show in New York in 2012 like really early on when I was doing the project and I kind of stopped doing that for a while afterwards. I was like, okay, I'm kind of done with this. And then I came back to it and I was able to, that's a project that I can really work with movement. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of like portraiture, you don't have as much opportunity for movement. Yeah. Um, and when I work on that project, it's very demanding in terms of the people I work with. Mm-hmm. So I can't really do it with like, I mean, I've done it sometimes with regular people and actually that's been surprising where I can really push people to be like, okay, you're going to have to do this really difficult movement over and over and over again. Sure. And if, if they're not a dancer or somebody like, it's actually like I've started working less with art models because they have very established routines of what they do. Hmm. And I'm not interested in any kind of established routine. Like when I do that project, I want to do movement that like has never done before. That's like the goal. It's not often possible, but I'm really trying to like push the the envelope. And there's some models who are like, listen, I'm getting really tired or like, this is really demanding. And I'm like, yeah, I know. Like you have to do that again. Like it's, and it <laughs> right. becomes, it, it's almost like I don't want to be too aggressive. Um, I'm not that type of person, but I, it's, it's very demanding. And I, cause I've shot myself for it. I know how difficult it is. Um, and because I'm, I'm just it's because I had one. I have a couple people who were fantastic, but they were really like destroying themselves physically. This one guy was basically launching himself in the air and crashing to the ground wow. over, over and over again. And he was incredible. And I don't expect everyone to do that, but he was able to do things that no one else would be able to do because he was like sacrificing himself for this. Mm. Um, and it was fantastic, but I can't really expect everyone to do that. So I don't do that project that much anymore. 
Um, and also, I don't want to do it unless I know that that person's going to be willing to really push it. Because I've also done almost a hundred of that one. I don't do that project as much because it's um, I've done a lot of it. And I don't feel like there's not that much more for me to gain. And um, I've just gotten interested in different projects because I started doing these landscape projects. For a while, I just did like my colors and the print landscape, and then I started introducing a prism into the landscape, and it became a whole new world mm. visually. And there's not much, it's not really that commercially viable, to be honest, but I really enjoy it because I feel like I'm doing, because I, I mean, I think you've probably seen there's a ton of people doing like color landscape work now, and they do different ways of doing it. And who, I didn't want to. Who are some that you're thinking? I, the only thing I thought of was Neil Krug, but he, he does more psychedelic kind of sure. with fires and stuff. What do, who are some artists you're th- referring to? Um, so, yeah, Neil Krug does. Like, initially, I think it was Richard Moss who was doing um, the infrared stuff in the Congo. Okay. Um, I think he, like, people were like, oh, wow, I can, like, change the way the landscapes work. Um, but I think, I mean, there's actually on Instagram, there's like a ton of people. There's this woman named Samantha Mojat, and I think she does some, I'm not sure exactly what her process is, but she does some like really interesting, um, color landscape work. Mm. This guy named Al Meffer, I'm not even sure if I'm getting his name right. Um, there's like a lot of people now. So I was like, well, I don't want to keep doing the same thing. So I started working with the prism and then it really becomes like, you can't even tell because before I was like, you know, people can kind of tell that I put the colors along the horizon line mm. and now you can't even tell what's happening because I'm basically shooting, if I'm shooting straight ahead and I'm seeing the landscape in front of me. But when I'm shooting this project, I'm basically reflecting the landscape around me into that image. Yeah. Are you so like the triangular prism, how that like that, like you rotate it and then you see the sky and it yeah. versus the ground versus the a tree that's to the left of you? Correct. Yeah. And so, but it becomes a really difficult project because, you know, your traditional mindset is like, I'm going to shoot this landscape based on composition and other things. But then that doesn't work because for this project, you have to think about what's around you more than what's in front of you. Yeah, it's interesting. I didn't even think about it like that. It's very, because I, when I started doing it, I got kind of lucky a few times. And then I was like, oh, actually, like, this is more difficult than I thought. Um, so it became like I went to this place called White Pocket in Arizona, which I thought was going to be incredible. And it was great. But in actuality, too much of the landscape was similar around it. Mm. I didn't have like a different landscape behind me to put into the landscape in front of me. Um, so I actually just went I was I did some of my best work at like a campsite in Arizona that was, you know, you would think would be run of the mill. But I was actually there were so many different things going on in that landscape that I got some of my best work out of it. So what makes you pick a, a, a landscape that like, what made you pick this place in Arizona? Uh, white pocket or the campsite? Well, yeah. Like, so you, so you initially went to white pocket. So what led yeah. you out to white pocket? Um, I had seen a bunch of, uh, landscapes that Luca Tombolini did. He's an Italian landscape photographer okay. and he plays with color a little bit, but it was more like he just uses different like times of day. I think he was shooting like pre-dawn, mm. And he was the first, like, White Pocket has become quite popular now, It's, it's it, which is incredible because it's a two-hour ride down terrible dirt roads mm. in the scorching desert of Arizona. Like, you have to have a pickup truck to get there. Mm. And I was like, oh, no one's going to be there. And then there's, like, dozens of people there. Oh, man. Which you're like, Thanks, it's Internet. incredible. Like, I, Yeah, exactly. Thanks, Internet. So I remember being there 
shoot, and I, you know, I, I take a long time when I'm doing this, and I have like my laptop set up and my tripod, and I'm shooting, and I'm like reconsidering, I'm changing the colors, and people would get annoyed at me because mm. they'd be like, "You're blocking my shot." And I had there's a woman that was a guide. She takes people there. She came up to me. She's like, "Listen, can you move? You're in our way." Wow. And I was like, "Oh, I'm sorry. Am I in your way?" And she's like, "Yes." I was really like, flabbergasted because I was like, I thought. You know, I thought this was like so remote yeah. and I thought people would be chill about like, you know, there's a lot of this, this there's a lot of really interesting places in this, but apparently they were on a schedule <laughs> and I was messing up their schedule. Oh my God. <laughs> that's a whole other thing. I don't even want to talk about like traveling and tourism and all that. But, um, so that's the project I've been working on. I'm excited about, but I can only do it so much because it's, there's not much, almost no commercial, um, possibilities with it. Cause no one's going to ask to do that because it's so... Uh, maybe like an album cover, really, but right. it's it's really pretty out there. So I mean, but you never know. I mean, you you've done pieces for like the New Yorker and stuff, and I feel like if they did some story on like, hey, I did peyote in the desert, they're like, hey, can we use this? Sure. You know what I mean? Like, you never know. Sure, that's true, and that's why I don't I don't want to like I think what people don't a lot of times realize is that like you know we start to make a living, and obviously we're artists, and we're trying to create achieve a balance. But I have to consider like this is something that I really love, but I also have to like pay the bills and make work that's that is somewhat commercially viable, not to the extent that I don't like it, that I'm not excited by it, but that I can show what I'm capable of and that I'm busy and that I'm appealing to, you know, different people. So I have to find a balance between those two. Yeah. So so you just said that kind of almost casually, like we're artists, but and that's something I struggled with for years because I I went to school for a fine art photo degree. And so, you know, I'm learning the conceptual side of things. I'm learning the art history. I'm learning to have gallery shows. They didn't teach me how to make a living. They didn't teach me how to take on commercial work. They didn't teach me how to do like a studio shoot or, or pay my taxes or, you know, any, like assist or work in a rental house. They didn't teach me any of that stuff. So all of that stuff I had to learn on my own after I graduated. And then I had to pour myself so far into that world to figure out all the gaps in information that I didn't feel like an artist anymore. You know what I mean? And and so I kind of vacillated between both sides, like, oh, I'm an artist, no, I'm a photographer or whatever. And, for, and so this is a 20 year journey for me to find, you know, an understanding and self-acceptance of like, I can be both. And I'm just wondering what your journey was like. Was it easier for you to separate out? Like, hey, I can do both. Like, I can walk that line. People have always straddled that line between commercial and art world. I think it's gotten easier in the last 10 years. Um, I think initially I, w I wanted to go into the art world really badly. And then I realized the art world is is so fickle and random that um, and then the work that gets into like the MoMA and stuff like I was like, listen, I'm never going to get in there. Like I'm too aesthetically driven. Mm -hmm. The work that's in museums and major galleries is not aesthetically driven. It's conceptually based or it's like very kind of political at this point, I think. Yeah. Um, which, you know, I'm not going to argue or rail against that. There's no point in doing that. So I realized I was like, well, I'm not, I'm never going to be taken seriously by like a fine art curator. I'm really just like, there's like this, I think. There's the commercial world and there's the art world, which are actually pretty small. And there's like, well, actually, commercial is huge, but the actual art world I think is tiny. 
And there's just a huge number of people who are just aesthetically driven visual artists that may not have a pedigree have gone to Columbia or Yale and they don't have, you know, a relationship with the creator and they're not like, they don't have a really long artist statement. So those people just don't fit in. And I know a ton of people who don't really fit in. And I think maybe they do have qualms and they're like, I'm not really an artist because I'll never really be accepted by the art world. Right. But the art world is also this utterly unrealistic place where they're like, just toil and struggle for 20, 30, 40 years. And maybe, maybe one day you'll get a show and you'll sell one or two pieces. Right. Um, it's an absolutely unrealistic, like bizarre thing, which I think has been created by people who come from money. Sure. And they completely don't care whether you're an artist that starves to death or not. Um, and they're like, listen, you either are 100% committed to doing your artwork and never do commercial work because that's beneath you, or you're not an artist. And I think they have a very draconian sense of that, unless you're a celebrity, like celebrity like Ryan McGinley or something, and you can rise above those things. But that's only if you're a celebrity. Otherwise, like unless you're like Petra Collins or Ryan McGinley, you're not going to fit into that mold. And trying to be a celebrity, like, don't even bother with that. That's that's like a nightmare unto itself. So um, I think you just have to say, like, you know, the accepted art world will never accept me as an artist. But if I'm truly committed to, like, pushing boundaries visually, then I can be satisfied with that personally, that I'm an artist. And then I do commercial work as well that I also find appealing. Well, in, but the interesting thing is, though, we were talking about Philip Lurker de Corsia. And he uh, does have his work in in like major galleries. Mm-hmm. You know, he is yeah. I, f- I would say accepted by the art world and doing commercial. And 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 there's a lot of people that have made be been able to do that. You know, like if you're big enough, like or like Andy Leibovitz, like you get to a large mm-hmm. enough level, and you can cross over into the uh, in, in, into the museum realm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it, but it's, I think it's not consistent at all. It's, it's not like an idea because people would say like, well, you can't make just work that's aesthetically based and expect to be in a museum or a major gallery. And that's false yeah, because there's false. tons of people who, right. that, like I, I went to Kugosian and there's a guy named Jonas Wood. All he does is paintings of interiors with plants. Yeah. It's like straight up like this could be an urban outfitters, right. like being sold as like a tiny print. I, I think the work is awesome. I think it's beautiful and it's it's great, but anyone that would claim like, oh, you really have to be very conceptually driven to be in a major gallery, like, that's false. This guy is purely aesthetic. Yeah. He makes just like nice paintings of plants. Right. Um, so I think you can't get caught up in like the lie of the art world where like there's just there's tons of exceptions. Oh, absolutely. Like if you're big enough and then everybody, you know, drinks your Kool-Aid, then like, yeah, like Florka can do whatever. He is minted gold. But I think in the end, like you're like, okay, um, I have to get back to work. And that's why for me, I'm like, okay, I have to get into these meetings because I realize like there's still hundreds of thousands, millions of people that haven't seen my work. Like I thought I was like, well, if I have all these magazine covers, obviously everyone will know who I am and that's false and that's okay. So then you're like, well, I have to go back to the drawing board. Like when I had the meeting in London, the person I was meeting with was like 25. Oh wow. So he, when I had actually like the company he was part of, like they had a photo annual, like a design annual. And I was in that in 2014. He's like, Oh, I didn't even, I was still in school back then. So I wouldn't have. (laughs) And I was like, Oh, I had been in their publication. So like I, 
you know, they were like, you're the one of the best of the year. Like, I was like, okay, great. But then he had no idea who I was. Yeah. So it's funny, like other people, like, you know, people who have regular jobs, I'm like, your life's so easy. <laughs> you don't have to like constantly, like, you know, you show up to work and someone's like, who are you? And you're like, well, I'm the accountant. And they're like, oh, you're going to need to prove it. I don't know if you can really like hang here. <laughs> yeah. like, but I've been here for 15 years. We're not going to give you your they're paycheck like, until you Sorry. know who you are. Yeah. Yeah. You would have to prove yourself like again and again. So yeah, I think that's sometimes like really hard to to like manage um and it's funny because like i meet people who are like just amateur photographers and they're like they like they're like they my girlfriend would be like you know he thinks you're a millionaire and i'm like and she's not joking and so you're like how is there this much of a gap right in what you think reality is and what it's actually like yeah dude well i mean yeah and, and life on the other side you know it's like uh, the grass is always greener type of thing. And it, and it's like, I can look at it. Like I was just thinking about this the other day. I was like, I, I only get probably two or three jobs a month, you know? And, uh, and so a lot of the time I'm just sitting at my studio trying to figure out like how to stay like productive, how to, you know, cause I might do one or two, uh, personal shoots a week. Um, but that's still a lot of downtime. I still have probably 20 hours to fill. And so it's like, I might, do some emailing or, or whatever, but then there's still this large gap. And before I would fill that with social media, which was not good for me. Cause I'd just be like scrolling, scrolling, obsessing, obsessing. Uh, but now yeah. I've had to, um, to, I was like, man, I just need to take up a physical activity. So I started climbing last month and now I'm okay. climbing three days a week and then climbing, uh, using my body, like, that got me motivated. I was like, man, I haven't cycled in three years. I'm going to start cycling to the climbing place. So now I'm cycling, you know, 25 miles every other day and then climbing. And, and it, it's totally got my head in this healthier place. Uh, I don't feel like, like when I do actually go to my studio to work, there, there's more stuff to do. Cause I've, I'm only there like a quarter of the time now, you know? And I was like, from the outside, it probably looks like I'm living this dream life where it's like, man, you're just like doing whatever you want. You're shooting a couple of days a week. But it's like, I had to do that because all my, my brain was occupied with obsessing over like, can I actually pay my mortgage this month? Can I actually like pay for, for, uh, the, the urgent care visit for my kid or what, you know what I mean? Cause it's just constantly like every month I start at zero, like as a freelance photographer, I don't have any promise that my bills will be paid it's all grinding to get those gigs all the time mm -hmm. and so yeah. you know from the outside it looks like it's this i live this fairy tale but from my side i'm like dude i feel like i'm constantly in the red zone just trying to make ends meet you know yeah people don't know that you don't have like a regular i have some friends who do like they have a regular thing they go into they shoot like interiors or furniture or whatever it is and that's their regular thing and that works for them um, I have the studio I have actually a rent out, um, my, me and my girlfriend run this, this studio space and we rent it out. So that pays for itself. Oh, that's great. Um, uh, uh, which is great because studio in New York is, is very expensive. Yeah. Um, but then it's important because I need to, when I'm doing a shoot, I can do a shoot whenever I need to and I can expense it and that pays for itself. So that's, but that took like a while to get that studio up and running and like to invest in all the equipment and everything else. So um and that's that's its own like i do have to that's a, that's its own timeline of setting up the studio dealing with clients that use the studio um but for me that means i have less 
of a nut to crack every month. Yeah, that's great. If I had to shoot even more, like if I was to go, I had to do like, I mean, I don't do headshots, but if I had to, then like that's what I would do to, to, to crack that nut. I'd rather not. I'd rather just like let people use the studio and help them use the studio and and do that sort of thing. So um, I just feel like, yeah, there's like, there's a romanticism of our jobs and I don't want to, I'm not going to like let people in too much. Like I'm not, that's the other thing, social media people are like, stalling about their own personal problems and i'm like that's fine that maybe works for you i i I have a private life like i'm not going to open up about me like fighting with my girlfriend in social media that's not right gonna happen yeah i mean people have uh have learned i read this really amazing um article in the new yorker last month about i think it was called what it takes to put down your phone uh Mm -hmm. gia tolentino was the writer and uh, and she was talking about how we, at, at, like our generation who uses social media, has learned to monetize every private part of ourselves. You know, yeah. because you do what you have to do to get the more followers. So you share more of your life, mm-hmm. and uh, you make yourself. I I had I read a different article last year where someone basically did their own Truman Show kind of thing, like where they're live, twenty four hours a day. And, and people do whatever they can to raise that bar to get more followers and more likes and more people paying attention so that they can make ends meet. And, uh, and, and so having to draw that line, like this part of my life will not be shared. This part of my life will stay private. Like, uh, it has to be intentional because now the temptation is just to share everything. Yeah. And I'm not, I, and I see it happening all the time and people are even like, People will say like, oh, you know, you're, you should be doing more. You should be like, and I think the the, the platforms themselves, they constantly are like, well, you should. They have like that live thing on Instagram, but they're like, oh, you know, you can like do an interview with your followers, and you can do this, and like they, you can see that they, they, they. I mean, they spend all their time thinking about how people use their platform, how they can use it more, right? Because to them, like addiction to social media is not a negative, right? Like they can like publicly say like oh no we don't we only want you to use it for 20 minutes do you want you want people on there six hours a day right of course you do because like it's just like somebody who's like i want like someone who works at whole foods they want somebody to buy as many items as possible in their store anyone who claims otherwise is lying right um but you know i'm just not going to do that because that's just too much absolutely Um, I was going to ask you. You do. You did. You've done like workshop workshops in a few different cities, even like Dubai. How how do those things work out for you? Well, so um, yeah, so that was one way I was able to make ends meet. Was um, let's say 2014. I started uh, offering workshops in Columbus, um, and I would just teach my techniques because I was like, you know, uh, I I worked out of a studio and uh, at the time and and a photographer was passing through and he wanted to rent out the studio to do a workshop. My buddy, it was my buddy's studio and I wasn't there at the time, but he was like, dude, that workshop was terrible. Like, and people pay for this. You should do this, man. You could do a better job. And, uh, and so I was like, okay, sure. You know? And so I started small, but I had a really positive response and I was like, so, you know, through 2014, 15, I was teaching like once every quarter in Columbus and they would always sell out. 
And I was like, oh hmm. man, I should like, I should like take this on the road, you know? And so 2016, I, I did, uh, I think it was 16, maybe it was 17. 2016 and 17, I took it out on the road. I, I did a, a New York a couple times in Miami. I did LA, San Francisco. I did London, um, Detroit. And uh, a lot of them sold out. And, uh, and so I was, you know, I was really stoked on that. But then after uh, some of the cities, um, it would, you know, because this was all me organizing everything. I was like, I didn't have someone doing this for me. So it was like, I would have to promote it. I would have to find the venue. I have to book the tickets, the models, all the stuff. And so then yeah. if a model bails on me or whatever. It was so much work. And then like, and then so after I had a few cities that were only like just over half full and I kind of broke even, I was like, you know what? I can't keep doing this on my own. I'm, I'm investing like two weeks on a city to make like 500 bucks if it doesn't like, cause basically I didn't want the, the workshops to be too expensive. Um, and so I'd price it as low as I could, but then it would have to sell out for me to make a profit. And, uh, gotcha. and so after doing that for like a year and a half, I was like, I'm done. I'm done doing this. Um, and so now I only do workshops where people invite me out. And so the Dubai workshop is through Golf Photo Plus, and they've been doing their thing for 15 years, I think. And they read my book, Studio Anywhere. Someone, someone there did. And they invited me out to, to teach uh, as uh, part of photo week last year. And so they invite like 10 or so photographers from around the world to come out every February and teach like four or five workshops that week. And, uh, so that was how that gig came about. And then I'm supposed to teach, um, a week long workshop next, next month in Santa Fe, Santa Fe, New Mexico mm -hmm. has, uh, the longest running workshops in the U S it's been going for 30 mm -hmm. years. And a lot of the top photographers have taught there, like Albert Watson and Frank Ockenfels. Um, a lot of these photographers have taught there over the years. So I actually emailed them after I did the, the Golf Photo Plus event and was like, hey, I'd love to teach there. And uh, so they invited me out. Um, so that, so now I'm only doing like two a year, basically, because uh, for those workshops, they do the promotion. They do the book, the models, they provide the studio and all I do is show up and get a check. So those are way better. Um, yeah. Cause I noticed that I've, I've seen a couple of workshops and I was, I was like, wow, you're, I, I just thought I was like, you're, no one's learning anything here. Mm. They're just doing the same thing they've done before and no one's work is getting any better. And I noticed that for a lot of people that are doing photo, they don't know anything. They don't know the basics of anything. So I've thought about doing some in the studios. Again, I don't want, I know like that's how, like how um, big the productions can be. So I just thought about doing some in my own studio just because like I don't have to go anywhere. Absolutely. And just be like, and I would not, I'm not interested in pricing it too high. Just It's just more for like paying for the studio. Yeah. Just to be like, hey, like this is how you do things. This is like professional ways of doing things. These are ways of like hard and soft left because I, I meet kids who, I've talked at SVA and Parsons and these other schools and like these kids don't know anything. Mm. And them or their parents are paying like tens of thousands of dollars and they're not even learning basics. Yeah. Well, and you're like, I can help you in one afternoon and learn more than you would have learned in a semester. So what would you teach them? Would you teach basics of studio lighting or would you actually teach kind of more of your art, the, the, the way uh, your aesthetic? 
I would probably do like a mostly basics, but some idea of um, my aesthetics in terms of like more movement or like more understanding of color. Yeah. Um, not necessarily like the lights that I use, but more like kind of like an approach. Like the, I'm actually doing a talk at um, Apple Store in Williamsburg tomorrow evening. Nice. And they actually asked me to bring like all of my gels and everything so people can use the gels with their iPhones okay. to play with color, which is fine. Like people know that it's colors in front of the lens. Like there's no big secret. I don't care about that. Yeah. Um, and I could just show people like, you know, you buy this filter, you can do this. I don't care if you do the same thing as me because you will never be able to do what I do. It's, it's done too far along in what I do. Um but it will be more just like, because these concepts I think are, and a lot of times I think when people are learning, especially when I was learning in school, you just watch somebody else do it, you take notes, and then you forget about it. Mm-hmm. And everything I want to want to do is be like, I'm going to show you, and then you're going to do it. Yeah. And you're going to do it again. Yeah. And then you're going to do it again. Right. Um, because that's really the only, I mean, that's the only way that I learned. Um, yeah. Well, I think that um, I think that the way you, sounds like you want to teach your workshop is is more how I teach mine which is different than how some people teach theirs like I uh, I was talking to a, a, a photographer uh, last week I was like hey we should do a workshop together like you teach one day I teach the other and the way I normally run my workshops is I will introduce a technique like I'll, I'll explain it for 10 minutes then I'll demo it for like 10 minutes and they can see the images mm-hmm. tethered and then I let them do it and they do it for like two hours and I split them oh, up wow. I split them up into two groups and each group has their own model and they do it or it may be an hour and they each have like 15 minutes with the model and then we come back together and the students are helping each other you know like when they're in those small groups and then we come back together and then I show another technique and then we break up and this time they're with the other model. And so by the end of the day, they've worked. And then I usually I'll have two other models come in the afternoon. So by the end of the day, the students have worked with four different models. They've, uh, they've learned like four techniques and they've had uh, a lot of hands-on time. And so each person is leaving with unique images, like person A's photos doesn't look like person B's photos. And, mm-hmm. and, they're able to kind of retain it a bit more versus some photographers will teach. They'll have one model. And this is the conversation I had last month. We have one model and it's just a step and repeat. Like I'll I'll show you the technique, I'll demo it, whatever. And then you just step up and you put the pocket wizard on your camera and you take that shot next. Yeah. And, and I don't like that way of doing it, you know? Um, But the way I do it is way more, uh, expensive because I have to book four models instead of one. And mm. you know what I mean? And so the, the other way would actually be easier. It'd be an easier way to run it. And then I could actually even sell more seats. Cause I could have, if they're just doing a step and repeat, you know, it like I could have 20 people then instead of, you know, 10. So I don't know, man. Uh, I think that's the way to teach it personally. If, if, if your goal is to really impart this knowledge is to allow a lot of hands-on time for your students. And, uh, but not everyone does that. I mean, I would want to keep it really small, probably five people at the max, because I feel like once you get past that, people kind of like lurk in the shadows and they like become reticent. And I mean, that's the difficulty is like when you do something that you, you're like, you know what, I'm going to build my own curriculum. I think there will be no photos and be like, okay, step up, bring out the C stand. Like you're going to do it. 
And the difficulty I think for a lot of people is that they're like, well, I don't want to make a mistake in front of other people. And I'm like, listen, being a photographer, people are staring at you while you're doing your job. And you have to like block it out and be like, I'm going to do my job. I'm going to take my time. I'm not going to rush just because you're staring at me. And that's something I had to learn over time because when I started this job, I was actually like a pretty introverted person. Mm -hmm. And it's made me more extroverted because I have to like accept that I have to like, I can't wait for somebody to engage with me. I have to engage with them. Yeah. And, you know, I'm on set where, you know, I do stuff with like where I put like different like materials, like different kinds of like lotions on the lens and I do like like specific kind of streaking. People are watching me being like, what is this idiot doing? <laughs> and I'm like, listen, I know exactly what I'm doing. Yeah. This is going to look great. I'm going to take my time until I get it right. And then we're going to shoot it. Yeah. And that's what I would want to impart to these to whoever took it. Be like, listen, you're going to set up a C-stand. You're going to do it wrong. And then you're going to do it right. And then other people are going to see you make a mistake and you're going to have to be okay with that. Right. Because I think people have still have so much of this fear and you're like, listen, get over your fear. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Oh, you don't like making mistakes? You're in the wrong job. I just had like one other thing I wanted to talk about. Um, we talked a, l a lot about uh, a lot of my questions we kind of touched on already, but I just wanted to talk about uh, your collaborations. Like I know that you work a lot with um, Paul. How do you pronounce the last name? Zivkovich? Zivkovich. Zivkovich. Yeah. So, you know, I, from me following your work, I came up, uh, you know, I'd see him pop up over and over again. So then I started following him and then I realized that like another photographer I was following, Ben Zank, also worked with him a lot and then i think i even saw that you three maybe collaborated we went on a road trip like last fall um i found out about paul through ben oh. ben was my girlfriend's uh roommate oh okay actually um and then she'd been like she, i think she contacted him through tumblr a long time ago they'd worked together a bunch of times so i met him through her uh we're all friends we all know each other um and he's also really good friends with brooke uh, Di Donato. Okay. Um, she does like kind of similar work. And so she's worked with both Paul and Austin Goodwin, his boyfriend. Um, so yeah, it's a lot of, and then I've met through a lot of people through, through Paul, like Annie Rigney and Ryan Vaughn Campernell and like all these other dancers. They're all part of the Sleep No More um, troupe oh, wow. in New York. Yeah. The interactive uh, theater um, performance. Yeah. Um, Paul is, is one of my favorite people to, to, to work with. Um, He's uh, like kind of incredibly creative person where he's not only going to like do an interesting movement, he'll also look at the image and be like, well, why don't you flip it this way? Or why don't we try it this way? And he'll come up with incredible ideas. Um, it's I make a joke about this where like I've shot Paul for every single project I have. Mm. And we're like, what's next? And I'm like, Paul, I don't have any more ideas. <laughs> <laughs> like I've literally shot everything with you because like you know you're incredible and i love working with you and I've, I've taken your color portrait i've done the prison project with your boyfriend austin we've done my past and rational twice in two different ways mm. and i did the plant project and i just started a new project and the first person i did the project with was, was paul yeah um 
so he's it's it's really a luxury like my, my girlfriend erica was, is an art model too and i've worked with her a ton and she's incredible too she's one of my favorite people to work with as well uh, she just has an understanding of movement both of them do of if i'm like okay like i want you to get weird they know what that means yeah someone else is like yeah where and like what is that and like <laughs> just make a funny they face. know exactly yeah, they'll make a scrunch face and they, they're like, what does that mean? But they'll know, okay, cool. Like you want me to push, like you want me to, if I say like look like an insect, they'll say, cool, I know what that means. Yeah. And that's the luxury because other people like don't know what that means or they, they get stuck in the tropes of being an art model or a dancer. And I'd be like, I don't want you dancing. I don't want to look like dance. I don't want to look like sculpture. I don't want it to do any of these things. Yeah. And they innately will know how to like position themselves, their shoulders, the way their hands are, spacing their fingers out, these innate things that, you know, only like real true professionals like them know. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm right there with you. Like I have a few subjects that I collaborate with over and over and over again. And, um, and, and they're my first person, the first people that I reach out to, if I want to work on a new idea, I'm like, Hey, come over. I have this thing I want to try out, you know, because it takes the pressure off me like having to explain they already kind of anticipate what I want or I, or, or their default kind of their go-to poses or I, you know, I fully am cool with. And so it allows me just to focus on my technique or my idea and kind of like, I don't feel like I have to feel the silence and explain what I'm doing and whatever. And allows me just to yeah. kind of focus on what I'm doing and do it. There's a few people that I've worked with on, on multiple occasions. Um, and I think it's just, it is that understanding of what I would need. And also like, you know, I like the way they look or, or, or whatever it is. So, um, it checks kind of all the boxes. Yeah. Um, but I mean, there's, there's people who definitely they're like, anytime I shoot them, like, Oh, I'd love to shoot with you again. I'm like, okay, well, I mean, the, the difficulty is like, I can't just shoot personal projects all the time. Yeah. Number one, like time is money and I don't want to like be too pragmatic about it, but you know, there's only so much that I can do. And, you know, when I first started doing photography, I was willing to like shoot five or six people in a day, which I will not do anymore. <laughs> like those kinds of days where I like, I'll shoot from, I'll shoot somebody at 10, 12, two, six, eight, 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. I, I don't have the stamina for that anymore. And it was great that I was able to do that, but now I'm much more like I'll shoot a couple people in a day. Yeah. If I'm doing that sort of thing. And I had this new project, which I just started with Paul, which I'm really excited about because it's, it's, you know, for you and I think for me, it's like, you know, if you're thinking like, oh, how can I use color in a photograph? And I've used color a lot in lighting, but now I'm expanding it. I'm like, it's not even going to be about lighting because I don't want to be so lighting dependent. Yeah. I use all the different hot lights and they, I know you work with like strobe more, but I do like a lot of stuff with hot lights, which they're great, but I sometimes will use like six hot lights at a time mm. and it's a pain because you're like, it's so precise. No one can move. There's like a ton of cords and stands and it's like a, it's a forest. Right. And so I have a new project where I basically, um, I'm just using like planes of color. Mm. Um, it's cardboard, but it's, I'm, I'm basically just able to create like this environment for somebody to do a nude or a portrait. So I'm going to be doing that more from now on. And it's like a new, I saw um, the one you did at Paul with the cutout with the red. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly the one. So I'm going to do that more. And it's it's so simple, um, but it's – and I actually do take a lot of inspiration from people who um, like Brooke or Ben where they're like – they're just using 
like an environment, but they're just finding a way to kind of like cut that out. Yeah. And then making an environment. So for me, I'm like making an environment with these, these, these colors that are cut out, but you're, you're, but all those details become so important. So when I work with Paul, like I could show him and be like, okay, see how your hand is almost touching this plane, but not touching it. And it's like so perfectly attuned. So you, start working on that movement and you it becomes this new world that you can navigate in and yeah. it becomes a lot of fun and it's and it's great not to have to worry about lighting i love that well the the um the aesthetics of that image are are so striking i i couldn't even tell i was like is this you know it almost looks like it was partial illustration like the way the shapes sure. were dropped in there um is there any concept you're working with behind the series or are you just exploring color and shape Right now, um, it's a lot of times, and I think this is why I probably wouldn't have done well in art school, is that I don't, I don't understand what I'm doing until I'm like halfway done with it. Mm. So when I start out, it's like, I'm just going to try this thing out. I have no conceptual underpinning to anything I'm doing. And then over time, I'm like, oh, you know what? I just read this book that made me think about this. Um, like when I first started doing the fruit series, like I had no idea what I was doing. I was just go, oh, I like smoking fruit. Let's try it out. And then I like I watched a seven hour documentary about Joseph Campbell and like the ideas of myths in our civilization. Mm. Like and then I was like, Oh, so this is what this project is about. Yeah. But I and that's what I wish I had more time for is like more reading and like the philosophical or like the societal or, you know, underpinnings of my ideas. Um they they often come from like things that I'm reading that are in the zeitgeist. Yeah. Then I'm like, oh, so this is what this project is about. But I have to have that time to read about those projects to really like fully understand what I'm doing. Because once you understand the ideas behind it, then you can that informs more of your practice mm -hmm. versus just being completely aesthetically driven. Yeah. Well, it's you know, kind of an, kind of another chicken or the egg thing here. Is I was having a conversation last week. Um, Sarah Lando, I mentioned to you earlier, uh, she actually has an online course um, th that I'm taking. I hadn't taken a photo course since college. And I was like, I want to be a student again. And she has very rigid assignments. Um, like, you have to photograph this white piece of paper is one of the assignments. And uh, so, you know, it was good to get back in the headspace again. But she, you know, one of these, uh, you're supposed to be working on a personal project throughout this 12-week course. And... Uh, I, I've been working on this personal project and she totally called me out. She was like, you look like you're coming up with this beautiful image and then you're trying to like shove it into this concept that you're now working with and you're kind of working backwards. And she was like, if you really want to explore this concept that you say you're exploring, you need to immerse yourself in that idea like you need to watch movies and read books and go see art and visit people that, that deal with this and do all that and let that lead to your, how it looks visually. But I mm. am so used to going the other way. I'm so used to, like you said, like exploring uh, a visual, exploring like a, maybe a new technique or, or just kind of working through it. And then I find something that I like and I'm like, oh, this is great. And now what does this mean to me? And then I try to build mm -hmm. off from there. And, 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 and I don't even know how to do the other way. And that's something that I'm trying to learn now. It's like, okay, can I do that? Can I turn off my visual brain for a bit mm -hmm. and explore an idea and let that organically lead to 
an image. Maybe it'll be a totally different image than I've ever made. Maybe it'll be, mm. maybe it won't even have color. Even though I started off thinking I want to do this acid trip looking color thing and it'll be about death and in, in this afterlife or whatever, you know, it's like maybe if I start exploring the theme first, it'll lead to a totally different outcome. I mean, that's, that's both exciting and kind of scary, I think, yeah. for me to think about because you've, you've developed your way of, of doing things and you like trust yourself and now you have to be like, you know what? Nope. Forget all of that. Yeah. Start from a complete, completely from scratch. Um, and that's, that's, that's in a sense, that's scary. Yeah, absolutely. But I think it's also, but it's also, I think easier where you're like, you're not going to post anything. True. Let's say you can make a promise to yourself. Like I'm never going to post anything. This is purely for me. So then it becomes lighter, I think, on your on yourself because you're not thinking like, well, how will other people perceive this? Like, I don't have to worry about that. This is purely for me to understand my own way of thinking and understanding images. Well, she 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 even told me she was like, you need to be allowed to to post uh, in, in the forum, which is a private forum. You need to be able to post bad photos. She was like, you, mm-hmm. I can tell you are not letting yourself shoot or post bad photos. And I was like, yeah, I mean, even though it's an anonymous, the forum is anonymous, like we all have fake names. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I can't do that. I can't post a shitty photo, you know, and uh, mm. I need to learn how to do that. I need to learn how to fail, be okay with failing. You know? Yeah, it's, uh, and especially I think for us, I think almost from a fine art perspective, it's maybe easier because they don't have like ideas of like, what a successful image is versus us. I think we're more like just been trained to be more professional. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess for lack of a better word. Um, yeah. Cause I, I think I, I had that a little bit with the prison project where what I was doing when I would like use the prism, I'd be like, this looks like shit. This looks like shit. This is garbage. And then suddenly something would happen. Mm. It's like, Oh, this is kind of interesting. Yeah. But it was, and I know, I mean, nobody, nobody's going to see the bad images, but laboring through those bad images that's the hard part yeah um and trusting like nope i'm gonna just trust the, and then also i mean the hard part is knowing when to quit sure or not like quit. okay you know what or not quit like i need to keep going you know what today completely sucked i got nothing out of today but i'm gonna come back to this tomorrow yeah. that's difficult because i feel like i'm very results driven yeah if i do a shoot and i don't get anything out of it it's I feel really bad. Yeah. Well, and, and, and social media perpetuates that. You know yeah. what I mean? It, it's like almost the opposite. It's the opposite of, of being conducive for exploration. It's like, let me put my best curated life out here. And, mm-hmm. and then you can vote it up. You can like it or not, you know? And if you, and if it's not well received, then it's obviously a failure, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Rather than like this, is actually going to be great. It's just that I haven't spent enough time on it and it's a little different from what I'm doing. And so it's not, I mean, that's the thing is there's so many things that are, I know the things that like, if I want to get the likes, I'll just put up a nude that I did years ago and it's going to be great. Right. Um, but because it's tried and true and like, it's very graphic and you can see it and it's, you know, but a more difficult image, like there's so many paintings that I see that are incredible. I'll see them in person and then I'll like try to post it later on like one of my curated, things and i'd be like wow this doesn't feel the same mm. and then no one really likes it and i'm like i really wish you could see this in person yeah because this is unbelievably great yeah um i saw one at the tate britain 
um, in London what last week, and it was this unbelievable painting of um of a it was actually it was a it was a a gay painter in the early 20th century maybe, and he made this like very homo like homoerotic painting of a of a guy jumping into the water, and then it's him his swimming movements across the pool, um, and it's basically always him, but it's in different movements. Mm. And it's incredible. It's like this gigantic, beautiful painting. And you have beautiful movements and textures. And you look at a tiny image and you're like, eh. No, but but that's right, though. I mean, like we, we overshare. We, you know, it's almost like that, that idea of a, if a tree falls in the woods and no one's there to hear it, like but with social media. So it's like if I don't share this, if I don't share this, that I had this experience, no one else will. Like it's like it didn't happen. I almost have to put it out there. But, but people can't get your experience by by thumbing through their phone like they're not going to feel what you felt or they won't hear a song the way you heard a song even if you post a you know a a link to the song or whatever and uh i don't know it's funny because it's like that's why i was drawn to social media in the first place is like it makes the world smaller we can connect with people uh that we couldn't otherwise but it's still not the same as like going to a thing like if you were to take a friend and go to that museum and look at that piece side by side it's still not going to equal that you know and and i feel yeah and we've replaced i'd say well i'll I'll speak for myself i replaced a lot of my relationships for years with just this online like oh we're still in touch we still like talk or tech you know what i mean but like actually now with me being off it it's made me like i've had to be more intentional and i'm like dude let's get lunch or let's go get a beer and I've and I've mm-hmm. and I've had so many lunches and and uh, and uh, gone to so many bars in the last three months because of that, you know. Because otherwise, I would have no contact with anyone. So that's been yeah. Kind of I mean, I an unexpected uh, positive thing that came out of that. Absolutely, I actually got I got rid I got rid of Facebook years ago mm-hmm. because it was this false sense of like knowing people, and when I got off, people were mad at me. Mm. They were like, you know, what are you like? How are we going to stay in touch? And I'm like, just at the, uh, there's a there's a uh, the rapper MF Doom. He has a, oh, a great couple of lines. Yeah, uh, MF Doom is great. He has this, you know, why don't we meet each other in real life so you can feel me like a steel knife? Mm. What what is that um, off of? Is that recent? No, that's like an old one. That's like that's probably made it off of like Mad Villain. Oh, is um, it? Okay, that's great. Yeah, yeah, I love that line. Um, for some people, they're like still a knife, and like you know, just means that you know you're, you're actually there. You're you're feeling something. Um, but I got off of it, and I don't regret it at all. Like I can't stand Facebook. Um, I can't stand what it's done to to people's relationships and how it's uh, it's separated people. Yeah. Um, and also, I think social media is totally destroying tourism um, mm. completely um, because people just go to a place, take a photo, and then they're like, cool. I'm gonna get a, I'm gonna post this. People are gonna like think it's great and they don't even experience anything anymore. Mm. Um, there wasn't a single person at White Pocket that didn't have a camera in their hand. Mm. There was a single person who was like, you know what, I'm just going to walk around because this place is an unbelievably amazing place. Yeah. I was the only one. Wow. Yeah, or even like take the photo and then put your phone away. Like edit yeah. it later, post it later. Yeah. Just take the photo yeah. and put the phone back away. You know, and uh, it's, yeah, it's it's a problem and it's a hard thing to, to overcome. And that's the thing I think about with my kids, you know, my kids are seven and nine and my son's already, my nine year old's already asking, can he have an Instagram? 
And I said, you will not have an Instagram. <laughs> if I can help it, you will never have an Instagram, but you will not have it anytime soon, you know. Yeah, because it, it's, it's, and I think the problem is that it's, uh, this is why people, I think, have a hard time leaving New York or like leaving Los Angeles because they feel like they're going to, they're going to miss out. It's the FOMO of like, well, I'm going to miss out on what's really happening. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's you're, you're going to be fine. Yeah. But it has that feeling of like, oh man, I'm no longer going to be cool. I'm no longer going to know what's going on. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you'll, just just go to things in real life like i i have a lot of problems with the art world of course but i still love going to galleries and museums because like i will see things that i'm not going to see otherwise even if i don't like it yeah especially if i don't like it yeah because it's going to make me think about things differently yeah um i'm chances are if i'm scrolling i'm not going to see things that i don't like because it's going to be the same stuff the people that I've liked before yes just the whoever you chose to follow you know we create our own echo chamber yeah, and I think over time, I think this is why for most people their their social engagement has gone down because people get tired of what you're doing and you can't constantly innovate. It's like you have to keep you know going with, through with your aesthetic, and people are going to get tired of it. And they're like, "Oh, you're just doing the same thing over and over again." Like, "Hey, that's for me, not for you." Yeah, um, I'm sorry. Like, you can don't follow me then. Like, I don't care. Yeah, I don't. I don't want this type of attitude um, to to pervade this atmosphere. Yeah, and I feel the same thing. For myself is when I look at somebody and I'm like, like synchro dogs, I feel like they were, they blew up, they were huge, everybody loved them, and they've kind of stayed doing their thing, and now it's like boring, mm-hmm. like they don't have much, and then like, I'm like, I still think they're great, I still think they've done so much for um, changing people's perceptions of how these photographs can be made, but that's the, that's the drawback, is like you're constantly seeing these things. If you only saw their work once or twice a year, you'd be like, oh, this is awesome. Yeah it every day like there's no way you can have that same emotional reaction right. to these images especially since it's just quickly scrolled on a tiny screen right. like you're giving yourself the worst possible version of this thing that's actually great right yeah i mean that's and, and i don't know how they how their, their process uh if they're affected by that or not I don't, I don't know if they feel pressure to replicate their same kind of image i know that i i did um and, and that, that that was kind of my main reason uh, or a, a big part of me leaving. But, um, you know, I think there's a pressure there for a lot of people to, to keep that up, even though the likes and the comments don't mean anything. The follower count doesn't mean anything. I feel like we as humans are kind of hardwired to, to react to positive or negative reinforcement and, and to see numbers drop and to see a lack of reaction it affected me and I think it affects a lot of people on that level of like, Oh, I must, I, I might need to change things up because this isn't working, but it, 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 but it's not, there's not a correlation there. There shouldn't be. You know? Yeah. So I think this is, I mean, I can't like 10 years ago, I wouldn't have had any of these conversations about images with people. And if I did want to share images, I actually just send them to one person and be like, Hey, what do you think? Or, can I like someone would come over to my house and I would show them the images in person? Um, I just, I, this is, but actually this is actually I find interesting is that this is just another example of like anything humans create has a positive and a negative. There are unintended consequences to anything, even something seemingly positive. Yeah. And that's something that for me pervades my, also my, my artwork and my philosophy. Um, especially like for me in terms of like, you know, I'm for me, environmentalism and, and food and the way that we, um, approach our environment um, 
all those things are super important to me and they, they do affect my work. Um, the, the project I'm actually doing with the PRISM and also working with, with people to put them into the environment is the idea that um, we are always part of every environment. So no matter how pristine a place looks like Iceland, guess what? Microplastics are air in the air, are in the air and water. Mm. We are everywhere. You can't get rid of us. Yeah. And so when people take photos of a beautiful, pristine landscape, that's always a lie. Mm. All of those images are lies. And I kind of want people to realize that like we flock to places like Iceland or these places because they almost signify, look how pure nature is, but it's not pure. You're fooling yourself. The very act of going to these exotic places because no one's ever seen it, but then it's becoming a thing to do that. And it's like you're, you, your whole reason of going there is undoing that thing, you know, yeah. kind of ironic. Yeah, it's ironic. And so I, I mean, I don't want to like shame anybody because obviously I travel a lot and I have qualms about that as well because, and I, then I don't even want to like tell people where I go because I'm like, then I don't want you to go. <laughs> then I'm like, am I being selfish? that only I get to go to this place and right. no one else gets to go. Right. I mean, it's, I think we all have to like have a conversation about that and be very real about it. Um, because like, yeah, it's a play like, you know, I, I, there's a, I, I remember reading this great article about real estate in New York where this, they, talk, they had an interview about with this guy about like different neighborhoods he lived in. And then they, you know, became really popular. He couldn't afford to live there. And this article was about the neighborhood I live in, in New York, which I'm not going to say. And he, was like, what is this article about? And they're like, oh, it's an article about this neighborhood. And he's like, great. Now I'm not going to be able to afford to live here anymore. <laughs> because now that the New York Times is writing about it, you're going to ruin it. Well, man, we, we went way long. Normally I only do an hour. This is almost two hours. Um, this has been a great yeah. conversation. Definitely enjoyed it. Thank you. I want to thank you again for checking out this episode. And if you found it helpful or encouraging at all, please do give us a, a rating and a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to it. I hope to have another episode up in the next couple months. Um, again, as I, I mentioned in previous episodes, um, since this is a one-man operation, I can't promise how regular these will be. And uh, once I do land uh, interviews with, with photographers I want to talk to. I'll make sure to get them up as soon as possible. I appreciate you listening and I hope you have a great week. Mm-hmm.